Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery, which recently turned a year old. And in just a year, it's become one of those places that serves as like a second home for people all over the city. The menu is adventurous, delicious, everything's made from scratch. The beers are always changing. There's always something new. The patios are excellent this time of year. They do cool events like trivia night and songwriters night. If you haven't been downtown in a while, you need to go. Head to Polk Street and Six Car. This podcast is also sponsored by Wick Realty, which just helped our family find a home we love. Katie Wick and her agents are invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, investing, if you're building a home, if if you're looking for your very first home, talk to the experts at Wick. Go to wickrealty.com. That's W-I-E-C-K. Today's guest is Ryan Parnell. Ryan is the director of the Cancer Survivorship Center, a community center that offers free programs and services for people who are undergoing cancer treatment and for cancer survivors after their treatment is finished. One of its main funding sources is probably something you've heard about, 24 Hours in the Canyon. This is a huge annual road and mountain bike event, and it's taking place this weekend at Paladura Canyon, June 1st and 2nd. So obviously I wanted to talk to Ryan about this. And so we discuss the 24 Hours event, how the Survivorship Center began, and why it plays such an important role in the Amarillo community. So here's Ryan Parnell. Ryan Parnell, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is great. Oh, good. I, I know that you've got a bunch of stuff coming up and there's a lot for us to talk about. But before we get to that point, uh, I'd like to just sort of hear your story about how you ended up in this area. So what brought you to Amarillo in the first place? Uh, well, raised in Pampa, so just down the road a ways and uh, went to school at uh, Baylor University in Waco. Okay. And really didn't know what I was going to do in terms of work until I met my wife and uh, who was in Canyon going to, t- to school at WT. Got married and decided we wanted to live in the DFW Metroplex and we okay. lived there and worked for a couple of years and then thought, you know, this is terrible. We want to be back ho- closer to home. And so we moved back and uh, came to Canyon and then lived in Canyon. I was the athletic trainer at Canyon High School for a couple of years okay. and then moved to Amarillo. So that's kind of how we got back back around, basically around family. Okay, so <laughs> I, I want to ask several questions related to what you yeah. just said. Um, growing up in Pampa, yes, tell me what that was like. How did that compare to you know raising your kids in Amarillo today? I mean, is it you know I think comparable? It, or? Yes, it is. I think it I think it drove us back to come to Amarillo based on you know how I was raised in a small town, and Amarillo, of course, is still small, but uh, you know just that that quaintness. I okay. think is what what really drove that back to come back to Amarillo. Were, were you one of those kids who came to Amarillo every couple weekends or something, you know, no. just to go to the doctor or do anything like that? No, not really. We were, we were kind of, I mean, Pampa's big enough. It's big got enough. everything it was. you need. You it, know? it used to be. <laughs> well, true, true. <laughs> but yes, I mean, we just, we just stayed in Pampa. Okay. Yeah. We came to Amarillo every now and then, but yeah. Tell me about, you know, those couple of years in the Metroplex and what sort of led to that desire to come back here. Like what were the things that you were looking to find here? We didn't know anybody okay. in the Metroplex. And it's hard if you don't know people. And it, just, it was difficult. And I worked a lot. I was the assistant athletic trainer at the Colony High School and um, a large, Big large school. school. Is that like a 6A yes. school? Yes. 
And so we worked a lot of hours. So, you know, it wasn't time to go meet people and do and, and whatnot. And we just didn't know anybody. And so it was kind of one of those things. It was like, well, this is really kind of boring, even though there's so much to do in the Metroplex. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and I think we really both missed our, missed our families. Tell me about the desire to become an athletic trainer. Because it's it's sort of that weird middle ground between like a, a medical personnel, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. being a doctor or a nurse practitioner or whatever, and you know having this athletics influence. So yeah. tell me about that. Um, so you know, it's kind of interesting when when you look at this weird web that I mean, I'm sure we're going to get through today, uh, and you look back on things. When I was four, I had an injury that caused me that I could not play football. Okay. And that's what I wanted to do. I was not able to play football because of this. That young? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so kind of steered me into becoming in, into the world of athletic training and, and injuries and, and doing all of that. And I loved it. Um, didn't like the hours, but mm-hmm. loved being a part of that and helping kids, you know, with a torn ACL and rehab and work through all of that. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Um, but ultimately what drove me away from that was um, just the long, long hours. Right. Because you're, you're traveling with sports yes. teams, high school yes. teams, and they're on the bus. Absolutely. And- you're, you're gone. And uh, you know, when, when we moved back to, I became the athletic trainer at Canyon for two school seasons and um, Canyon has some amazing, amazing teams and they go very far into mm-hmm. the playoffs. And so there was never a break you know, girls basketball goes to state and right. it, it overlaps with the next sport and it overlaps with the next sport and just continues and continues on. And you're, you're keeping the same hours as like the head coach, but without <laughs> some of those perks, exactly. you know, in, in exactly. terms of uh, yeah. wins and losses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. Okay. So you got back to Amarillo and, um, or I guess the Canyon area. Mm-hmm. Tell me, uh, about that process as, as you were an athletic trainer, kind of dealing with those long hours. And, and when did you start to think, okay, maybe there's another path here? Um, I would say after about the second year. Okay. It was one of those things was like, I'm going to have an education degree. What am I going to do? And uh, lo and behold, I ended up in the pharmaceutical world. And uh, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. Became that for about, I was there for about a dozen years. And it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed that. Um, Were you good at it? I mean, did yeah. you have sort of that sales personality? Yes, that- yes. A lot of, edu- and they educate you very well on how to sell uh, their pharmaceutical product. And so it was good. Enjoyed that. It became a little bit more flexible and had better perks, as you say. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then it was really interesting how these have led from one thing to the other, right? you know, from the athletics and then into pharmaceuticals. Uh, it was funny. The guy said that at my very first interview, he said, uh, why should I hire you, um, to be our pharmaceutical sales rep? You don't have any sales experience. And I said, have you ever tried to sell abstinence to teenagers. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and I said, that's what I have to that's do heavy in my health class. You know, yeah. I'm teaching health. So I have to sell these kids on that. They shouldn't drink and they should be abstinent. And they're looking at me like, you've got to be kidding me. And he goes, Hmm, good point. <laughs> Plus you had some medical training. Yes. Too, you know. Yes. During that, that pharmaceutical sales period, like, did you get involved with 24 hours in the Canyon or anything like that? I mean, does, does its history go back that far? No, I don't know the real origin story. That's okay. So I, yeah. I, I wanted to, no. to kind of, so no, um, pharmaceutical sales was where I was when we started 24 hours in the Canyon. And so, uh, has a very interesting origin. It really begins, I would say probably in the, in 2005, early 2005, I started having some real stomach problems Okay, and I uh, wasn't sleeping at night, night sweats, all kinds of real crazy symptoms. So naturally you go to your doctor and my doctor says, well, you're, you're old enough. We need to do a upper GI. 
okay, let's, yeah, sure. So get an upper GI scheduled and uh, they say, well, uh, we found some spots in your stomach that we biopsied and, uh, but we want to do a CAT scan and make sure there's nothing on the outside of your stomach growing into the, into, into your stomach. And I said, okay, you know, I'm 31. Yeah. 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 Whatever. Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. So I have a CAT scan and uh, comes back and he says, well, there's some spots kind of in your left hip area that we're, we're really want to watch. They're not supposed to be there, but they're not very large. We'll just kind of watch and see what's going on with those. And you say, okay. And so we'll repeat this in, you know, uh, three months. So three months go by and I have another CAT scan. And uh, they said, well, they, they doubled in size, but they're not really something we're too terribly concerned about until they reach this big size. And you go, well, I said, well, what does that mean? Like, what do we, what does it mean when they hit that size? Right. And he says, well, normally at that, that's where we start thinking it's some sort of cancer or some sort of thing going on, but we're not really worried about it. Don't stress. Don't worry about it. We'll just repeat. So we repeat it again in a few months and it turns out now they've doubled in size again. So now they've like quadrupled in size. And he says, they're still not quite there, but I think we, let's get a PET scan. So a PET scan is uh, where they inject you uh, with an IV that has a radioactive dye, and okay. it looks to see if it, um, it'll glow on a, on, a, on a CAT scan if it's something that's cancerous. And so uh, they do a PET scan. Turns out, lo and behold, normal. You know, and you're like, okay, well, so yeah, let's just keep moving on, right? And so uh, go a little bit longer. Now we're getting into early 2006 and say, well, let's repeat this CAT scan. And we're just following along. We're just going to see what's going on. You're still having the same symptoms that you were having? You know, off and on. It's kind of subsided a little bit, but really just kind of off and on. Almost enough just to kind of remind you, oh, yeah, something else is going on here. And so uh, have a CAT scan and they've stayed the same. You know, and you kind of go, oh, okay. And and I said, are we worried about this yet? And they're like, no, 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 no. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So as we get towards kind of the fall time frame, um, you know, we ride bikes and we're busy and, um, I make application to, uh, the Livestrong foundation, Lance Armstrong's foundation right. that he started make application. They've got this big, huge summit that they're going to put, put together. And of course I'm thinking, I want to go because I want to meet Lance. This is cool. Right. This would be great. This was when Lance, of course, was still. Everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. Yeah, it was a big deal. He was a hero. And I thought, this would be cool. I want to go meet Lance. So um, I made application, and it's a cancer summit. And I thought, "Hmm, okay, well, I mean, they say this could eventually be cancer. You know, I'm thinking, but I have this ulterior motive, right? I want to go to Austin. I want to meet Lance. And I get accepted. And this is this inaugural summit that's a big deal. And I I get to go to Austin and go do this. So we go. I go to Austin and find out it's kind of this thing where it's like, okay, we, we want to talk with you guys. And it's full of cancer survivors hmm. and cancer patients currently. And I'm sitting there going, I don't, I don't belong here. This is crazy. And I didn't even get to meet Lance. And, you know, and ultimately what they want you to do is they want to kind of utilize this army, if you will, of people to do something for their foundation and help raise money and, and do these things. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't belong. You know, I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. And so we go to this action planning meeting and then we go to lunch and we're sitting around this table at lunch and I'm around these guys. They're like, well, what are you going to do? And this guy says, well, I'm a, I'm a prostate cancer survivor. I'm going to continue to do a prostate support network that we've got going on. Man, they're going to ask me, what am I going to yeah. do? You know? So the next guy goes, well, I'm a lung cancer survivor and we do lung screen kind of things and we do this and we do that. And so, and then the next guy says, well, I live and I cannot for the life of me remember where he says he lives. And I want to say it's somewhere in the Northeast. And he says, well, we do a 24 hour bicycle ride. 
we have this canyon and, and I'm, and I'm listening to him and I'm like, Hmm, well, we have a canyon and ride bikes. Yeah. And he goes, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to do is we do this and we raise money. They go, well, Ryan, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I'll just be real honest with you guys. I don't have a clue, but I kind of like his idea. <laughs> and this is really kind of cool. So maybe I'll look into that. And so kind of finish up the, the deal and, and get ready to go home. And I'm like, you know, this is so awkward. And it was, I just felt out of place and had this weird feeling. So um, this is in October, right? So October, so my wife drives home and I'm making some notes kind of, ah, oh, maybe this and maybe that, and we could do this. And I was kind of feeling energized a little bit. Like maybe I do want to do this. I don't know. And so I wrote down these things, come home. And then I had a follow-up scan the very next, like two or three days after I got back. Okay. Go have my scan. And I'll never forget. This was, the scan was sometime in, I want to say it was like, mid-November. The doctor calls me the day that I'm having lunch with my wife. She was a kindergarten teacher at Carver Early Childhood. And I'm having lunch and and there's terrible cell reception in the room she was in. And I stepped out and answered and he said, Ryan, I need to talk to you about your scan results. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And he says, well, they've doubled in size. And he said, I've had some other people look at your scan. And he said, it's classic lymphoma. And I'm like, what, 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 you know, you said, yeah, don't worry about it. He said, I know we need to get a biopsy done. We need to get this done. We need to do, 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 And so I'm like, okay, let's go get this stuff done, you know? So set up a, an appointment with a surgeon, go to meet with the surgeon. The surgeon says, oh yes, classic lymphoma, hmm. all your scans. It's classic. Uh, we need to get a biopsy. So this is after Thanksgiving. So my biopsy gets scheduled for New Year's, right? So I get to enjoy Christmas. Yeah, just with all that. Exactly. Yes, this heaviness. Like, what are we going to do? What what do we do? How do we do? Where do we go? Got two young kids. What does this mean? And so, you know, life gets put on hold. And um, I go and I have my biopsy. And the the doctor comes in and the surgeon comes in and into recovery. And he says, it's not lymphoma. And I'm like, what is it? And he said, it's spleen tissue. So, what happened when I told you that I had this weird injury when I was four that wouldn't allow me to play football. When you're missing an organ, physicians don't like for you to do that or play football, uh, contact sports. And so um, when my spleen ruptured, when I was four, my brother and I were jumping off of chairs and landing in bean bags. And as any kid, as every boy, I've got those stories too. Yes. As every boy does. Um, and I tell everyone all the time that he moved the beanbag, but he would have been two at the time. And so I doubt he moved the beanbag. I missed it. I would imagine ruptured my spleen. So the way it's described when an organ ruptures is pieces and parts go everywhere. Yeah. And so what, when they try to do the surgery and remove everything out to remove it, pieces and parts get left behind. So this is actually spleen tissue that is trying to regenerate and grow somewhere where it shouldn't be. Your spleen is a part of the lymph system, which on the scan that shouldn't be there. And it looks like lymphoma. Wow. And so, you know, you kind of go through this and you go, this is terrible. I mean, that month, month and a half, just flat out stunk. And uh, you go, but there are people who don't get to get that good news. Like I got, Yeah. you know, I got the, I got the bad news that they get up front but I got good news at the end. And so I looked at my wife after our you know, surgery and whatnot and kind of go, we got to do something. And of course I'm like, maybe I should pull my notes back out for this 24 hour right, ride. Right. You know? So that began the birth of the very first 24 hours in the Canyon, which was in 2007. Okay. 
And, uh, you know, it was like, all right, we got to do, we got to do this. We got to do this. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of a weird web to get to where we are today. There's a large step that somebody has to take, you know, between hearing some guy talking about an event and thinking, oh, I don't have an idea. Maybe that's my event. And then like actually pulling off yeah. a big fundraising event, which is hard and yes. it's not your regular job. You know, I no, it wasn't at the, yeah. alongside of that, you yes. know, at that point, like, how did you sort of come to that decision where I'm going to put all this time and energy into doing this yeah. thing. In all honesty, it was a pure blind step of faith. Okay. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, here I am a pharmaceutical rep going and calling on doctors all over the panhandle and we're trying to put together a bike race, you know, an event in all honesty. What's crazy about it too, is I'd never done a 24 hour bike ride. Sure. Ever. Maybe most people have. No. Done. And here we are going to put one on, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of one of those things like, what do you mean? people ride bikes at night and you go, yeah, they do elsewhere. We're going to do one here. It took a lot of convincing, you know, for, at the park at Paladura Canyon and a variety of different people. And I think the novelty of it was what made it kind of a, a big success early on. And, um, but yeah, there's no question. I mean, it's just a total blind step of faith. Okay. So I, I don't want to presume that every listener knows what the race actually is. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of people I'm sure have heard of it. So tell me what happens during the event. What yeah. are, bicyclist doing and, and what does that look like so in a nutshell it is the only simultaneous 24-hour road and mountain bike event in the united states and so you have um competitive options and non-competitive options depending on what you want to do we have competitors that come in from all over the united states um and they're there to ride their bike competitively for 24 hours okay. on the mountain bike trails or the road bike uh, portion on the road um and we have people that, that just you know I want to come down and ride. I want to be a part of this and I'm going to go, be go to bed about 10 o'clock. Right. Right. <laughs> and I might get up at eight the next morning. I might not, you know, I might sleep in, you know, but they're there to support the cause and they're there to be a part of it and have fun. But it is truly a unique venue that Paladero Canyon is allows us to say to do both of those mountain things. bike over here, road bike over here. Right. And they really don't intersect, but it's the coolest thing because you just, there are bikes everywhere. Sure. How does it work? I mean, I, I can see the road bike part. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lights along the road and stuff. But like when you get out into the the rugged terrain, mm -hmm. you know, on a mountain bike, and it's you know two or three in the morning. Yes. Right? Are they riding with lights? Do oh yes. Have lights set up yes. on some of the. No. So so you don't want to put lights out there um, because it takes away your night vision. Sure. So there's helmet lights and bike lights. Um, if you have one or the other, is okay. The better lights you have, or the more light you have, the easier it is to do. Um, and it's very unique riding at night, obviously. I find myself riding at night. I pay attention to the trail more mm -hmm. or to the road more. You're obviously paying better attention, even though you might be a little sleepy. But um, And you see things that you don't normally see. Obviously, at night, you see things, you know, little critters and things like that right. that are out there. It's a very unique experience. I mean, the train's pretty challenging during the daytime. During the day, you know, Unless be. you're a really good mountain yes. biker. You know, yes, yes. So. And so I think it, you, you tend to self-eliminate. I'm not riding at night. Right. <laughs> if you're not comfortable with that, for reals, it's 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 a very unique situation out there. Tell me how the event has has sort of grown and evolved over the years because it went from that mm -hmm. first thing, you know, I'm sure yes. where you're just kind of trying to figure it out. Yes. Something that, you know, 10 years in, you know what's happening, it's yep. got a reputation. Yeah. The, the unique thing is we did it, you know, that first year and then I'll never forget somebody coming up and go, "Hey, when when are you going to do this next year?" and I was like, Next year, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like a one time thing, yeah. Ooh, I think we're you gotta make I guess I don't know, we'll figure it out, you know, kind of thing. And so um it's evolved from the very first several years, it was just purely non competitive, just come and have fun. 
Um, in fact, the very first year, Paladar Canyon wouldn't let us use the trails at night. Okay. Um, they were not comfortable with us being able to do that because no one was doing, doing this. I mean, people were doing it kind of on their own periodically, but there was no organization that was saying, hey, we're going to ride at night. Right. And I think they were a little uncomfortable with that. But beginning year two and three, they became a little more comfortable with us riding the trails at night, using the trails and doing it. So, you know, it kind of progressed into being able to utilize the trail system at night. And then also we began adding a competitive component to it. And so just having it basically, I guess, if you look at it, if you if you ride a bicycle, you can participate in one way or the other. Okay, and that competitive component is where you started getting riders who are not just you know panhandle people are starting to come exactly in well and and serious yeah right you know i mean like i'm coming in and gonna put down a, a guy a couple of years ago did 420 something miles wow on the road you know and you're like that's a that's a long distance right a very long distance so at at what point in the event after doing it for several years, after raising money, did you start to make that transition to where, okay, this idea for the survivorship center, yeah. um, when did that develop and when did you think, okay, let's, let's go even further? Yeah. So, um, again, there's the, one of my favorite quotes is from Steve Jobs and it's talking about, um, connecting the dots mm-hmm. and, uh, you can't do that in the present. You have to look in the past to connect the dots, to see kind of where they intersect right. in the present. And so that's one of my, the things that I kind of live by and kind of look at and go, this is where, I mean, like this, that question you just asked, ironically, but not ironically, it's just, it's one of those things that's just kind of like, oh, it makes sense now. Um, the very first year we started, all the money we raised went to, we gave a portion to the Livestrong Foundation for okay. a couple of years, but then the rest of it was used here locally for mammography assistance. We also did some stuff with removing of teeth. Um, when, when they have to have radiation, they have to have, if they have bad teeth or they have any cavities or anything like that, they have to have those removed before they okay. can have radiation to their head or their neck or their gums, if they have oral cancer and things okay. like that. So we did those things. And then um, when, when Harrington Cancer Center was, was not-for-profit at the time, and then I became, believe it or not, actually went to work at Harrington. Um, as their marketing person. So hey, again, all my sales training from right, pharmaceuticals, right. now I'm using it in telling physicians why they should send their patient to Harrington. And so um, when Harrington Cancer Center went to be for profit in 2013, my boss at the time said, hey, you, you got to find something to use this money for. Um, you know, we're raising $250,000, $290,000. You got to find something to do with this other than you can't give it to us because now right, we're for profit. for profit. You yeah, just can't give it away. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't know. And he, he says, here. And he gave me a stack of about four or five inches thick worth of medical journals. And he said, figure out what other people are doing that we're not. Wow. And I'm like, Oh gosh, you know? So the very first journal, and I wish I had a copy of it, but the very first journal I'm thumbing through it and looking, and there's two or three articles in in there, um, studies that were uh, published on survivorship and aftercare. And I thought, wow, we're not doing this. No one's doing this. And the next journal I pulled out, there was another study in there talked about it you know, aftercare and counseling services and these, these supportive care network type things. And I thought, this is it. We, we need to do survivorship. And so, uh, from that point on, um, all of our money has gone to focus on cancer survivorship programs. Were there other places that had similar programs or was it still a pretty new idea? It was fairly new, but other places, mostly large centers, Indy Anderson, 
uh, you know, City of Hope, those types, Sloan Kettering, they had some survivorship services. And attached, though, to those hospitals. To systems. those hospitals, right. yes. So if you were their patient, you had access to okay. those things. So you, there was not, you know, there's some counseling and some things that were going on here locally, but nothing geared specifically to, hey, cancer survivor, we want to help you return back to your pre-cancer right. state. Regardless of where you're treated. Regardless like of where that, you're that treated. Community aspect. Yes. And so by by this time it's like, okay, well, now everything is moving into this foundation and that's where this money is going to go and we're going to earmark it. We're going to do survivorship services. Okay. So I, I want to give people an idea of what happens mm-hmm. at um, the survivorship center, but also why it's necessary. Yes. So let's let's talk about Actually, what do people receive when they come during treatment, after mm-hmm. treatment? Exactly. So there's, there's, that's a good way you just said it, during treatment, after treatment. So the definition of a cancer survivor is from the moment of your diagnosis. Okay. You're surviving with cancer. You're living with it. You're living with it. Um, you know, they, researchers will tell you that the goal is to say, we may not be able to cure cancer you know, or rid the world of cancer, but we're going to either cure you or we're going to hopefully turn it into, if you will, a manageable chronic disease. Okay. That's kind of those, the, the thought process. So while you're going through your treatment, we have services that are available for you. And those services look like yoga classes, Tai Chi classes. We have counseling services. We have nutrition classes, a lot of wellness activities. Mm-hmm. And we take these things and we say, you know what, Mr. or Mrs. Cancer Survivor, while you're in treatment, do what you can do. Be as active as you can be right. as you feel up to it. Studies show that even just a little bit of activity while going through treatment, they have better outcomes. Right. They feel better. They're, they're moving along better. Even with just attitude and outlook. And yes, all yes. And things that are, are fed by that In stuff. fact, uh, the Oncology Nursing Society has a slogan that they say is just get them up and get them moving. Hmm. And so that may look like you walk to the mailbox. That may look like you walk, you know, you come into a class sitting down. Those types of things. We have water exercise. We have um, feel-good classes like, you know, painting. Okay. Uh, all these things. And so that's during treatment is basically they're on their time frame. Post-treatment now, we say, okay, you know what? Let's get you engaged. Let's get you involved. And let's be part of a walking group. Or let's go to this a water exercise class. And let's let's be, again, led by the, the patient or the survivor and adapted by our instructors Um, these are those things that you can be a part of the other key component that we do post treatment is our oncology nurse that we have on staff will, uh, obtain a signed release of information and then she'll get the records from uh, wherever this patient had uh, their treatment and compile what might be, you know, five, six inches thick worth of volumes, Mm -hmm. uh, into about a two to three page document and make it very easy to read and easy to understand so that then we bring them in and have an, an appointment with them and say, sit down and she goes over that. Here's where you were diagnosed with. Here's what you were treated with. You got this much chemo. You had this type of chemo and so forth. And really just kind of re-educates them because okay. the moment they hear you have cancer, it's a, they're tuned out. Right, right. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you're tuned out. And so it's kind of that re-education on the back end. And that document then becomes a part of their medical record, but it also goes with them so that they can take it to their family, to their family doctor, to whoever, if they move. But that's their really their treatment summary. Okay. And that walks them through their entire treatment. The other document is kind of what I call the what's next, and that is the survivorship care plan. So that answers, because you got this kind of chemo, late side effects that might occur down the road are these, and you need to watch for this. Or you need to continue to have your screenings. You need to continue to have a bone density. You need to continue to do these things. 
but watch out for this, 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 this. And so it's kind of that what's next and what potentially could happen. Because right, because we, we have the idea that people, you know, they, they get treated for cancer. They go through the chemo. Maybe they have surgery, and then it's all clear, or they go into remission. Yes. We're just like, okay, you're done with that. But really, it's a journey that it it continues even after oh, that process. It is. So many people feel like, well, mom got – she's treat, she's cured. She's in remission. Why doesn't she feel good? Yeah. I mean, come on. You, it's like – it's not like getting over the flu. The, the, the biggest issues that survivors face post-treatment are fatigue. They're just totally wiped out. Um, and then the other thing is fear of recurrence, mm-hmm. which is massive. And so, you know, they're just waiting on, I, it's going to come back. I don't sure, know when. Yeah. And you're still living under that weight. Exactly. You know, and they're going to have another scan in six months and you have scanxiety because you're scared to death to go in there because what's going to happen? You know, I know it's coming back or I had a cough last time and they found my lung cancer and I've got bronchitis, but to me, yeah, I, it might be back. And so they live with this for the rest of their life. And it's unfortunate because, you know, they may feel like, well, I, I, I did well the first time. I don't know if I'm going to do well the second time. And so, yeah, it's not like getting over the cold. The survivorship center has been in place for how many years now? When did it start? Uh, since 2013. Okay. Are you, do you feel like you're making good strides in just awareness, you know, within the people who are being treated? Cause all of us know somebody who's, you know, gone through cancer treatment, mm-hmm. cancer scare recovery, like, do you feel like everybody in that place kind of passes through now? Or are you still getting the word out and saying, we have all this stuff to offer you? Yes, it is. It is a challenge. It really is. You know, here's the thing. Physicians are so good at treating the patient. They are. Mm-hmm. We have some amazing doctors in this town that do well treating patients, but they're so busy because there's so much cancer that they can't take the time to, you know, have a two hour appointment and go over their medical record on the back end. Right. And so we feel very fortunate that the ones that come to us that we're able to work with and get, um, survivors to be able to provide this information to them. The one thing I haven't told you that is so cool. Um, everything we do at the survivorship center and provide is entirely free. Okay. hundred percent. And that comes from 24 hours. Right. And that also comes from our foundation, the Harrington Cancer and Health Foundation. But the cool thing is, it's like there's no catch. Yeah. We don't care if you have have to go through insurance. No, we don't care if you have insurance. That's great. We don't care if you don't have insurance. We want to help you. You live in Texas Panhandle. You're you're treated in Dallas. That's great. We want to help you. You're treated here locally. Fantastic. And so these things that we're able to do, we see life change with these folks. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see someone come in and and they'll be just entirely zapped and completely fatigued, have no endurance or no, you know, just, just weak. And they go through programs and they go through classes. And next thing you know, they're walking a 5k. It's so life-changing for us, but it's ultimately life-changing for the, the survivor. So I, I want to take a step back and, yeah. and have you kind of look back. You know, you, you talked about connecting the dots in your career and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Thinking of when you wanted to be an athletic trainer or you were living in Dallas or going to college, does this surprise you? I mean, does it feel like, all right, this is what I'm supposed to do. I've kind of made my natural path toward this. Or does it feel like, how in the world did I end up doing this thing? <laughs> no, it totally surprises me. And I tell you, it really surprises, I would say, my parents because, I mean, I was the shy you know, really the homebody kid growing up. And I think a lot of it is, it's, it's a, it's a forced, you know, 
engaging with people and talking about, you know, that like today, you know, these things, it, you know, oh, it's you like became a salesman. I mean, you can't, well, yeah, exactly. You can't really do that. Yeah. You're you can't, and staying you home. can't, you can't. And so I think every, all these steps along the way, but it's one of those things that's kind of like, um, I mean, I've just kind of held everything I do when it comes to 24 hours and the survivorship center and the things like just with open hands. And it's kind of like, what's next, okay. you know? And so, yeah, it, it's an interesting journey. The other question I have is, is looking at the uniqueness of, of what the survivorship center is, you know, it's not attached to a particular hospital or, or medical facility. Is that like, is that an Amarillo thing? It you is. know, because we have s- such a wide region of people that come here, it's such a unique place in the yeah. nonprofit world. I mean, is that it's totally, totally, it's just totally an Amarillo thing. By where we are, I give you, I give you a couple examples. Um, so we had a little steering group when, early on when we were doing this because it's so out of the box, mm-hmm. it really is. And so I had a, a hospital administrator on our on our steering committee, and uh, he got a transfer and took another position within the, that organization and moved to Las Vegas. And an employee of his there was diagnosed with cancer. He called me and he's like, "Hey, I need some help." And I'm like, "What can I help you with?" And he's like. I need you to tell me where I can send her to a place like yours in Las Vegas. And I said, there's not. Hmm. How do you know? And I'm like, there's just not. I mean, wherever she was treated, they might have something attached to their facility that's that way. But there's not a free center. There's not a, you know, it doesn't care where you were treated, all these things. Um, and that's so kind of one of those things that's like forward thinking to where it's like, you know, it's community minded. Right. It's not business minded and it's not so much, you know, um, hospital minded or attached to a center, but it's totally an Amarillo thing. What does that tell you about this community? (laughs) You know, from the support for 24 hours in the Canyon, Mm -hmm. which has an athletic component and outdoors component to the connection with Harrington Cancer Center. I mean, when you pull back and you look at how unique it is, what conclusions do you come to about what, what this place is? We live in an amazing community. We do. And it's not so much just Amarillo. I would say it's in the entire 26 counties. Okay, It's not like everything just falls into our lap. But, but we have support and we get support from places that you would never dream of or never think like, wow, you know, that's interesting. They reached out to me to be a sponsor of 24 Hours because they have an employee who just happened to come through our survivorship program because yeah, they were yeah. diagnosed with cancer. You know? And so our community is engaged and our community gets it, I think. Um because we're not trying to, it's not like we're trying to, you know, reach a budget at the end of the year of, of how much we made. Um, it, it truly is community minded. And I think the community respects that. And I think local businesses too respect that. And I think they appreciate it because it's, you know what, I, there's been several people that are like, Oh, now I get it. You know, we've sponsored this because it's a bike deal and we like to ride bikes, but, but we work at this business, but now so-and-so has gone through your program. They were diagnosed with cancer and it hits home. We get yeah, it. It's come full circle. Picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think uh, as our community is um, typically that way. This week's episode is sponsored by Sidecar Photo Booth Company, who provided high quality, fun, professional photos for my live event earlier in May. Hopefully you've listened to that episode. If not, go find it. They don't just do stuff for my event. Amarillo Little Theater uses them. Palace Coffee has used them. Sidecar's booth has been at holiday parties for past guest Dean Boyd, for Panhandle PBS, for Sparkman Orthodontics, and a lot more. And they're perfect for weddings and other summer events because you end up with a set of really amazing, crisp, shareable photos that document everyone who is at your event. It's so much fun. I'm a really big fan of Sidecar. 
to book Sidecar for your next event, head to sidecarphotobooth.co and check out this podcast's Facebook page. And you can see pics from the live show, see what uh, Sidecar Photo Booth does. Okay, I'm back with uh, Ryan Parnell of 24 Hours in the Canyon and the Cancer Survivorship Center here in Amarillo. Ryan, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. You got it. So I want to start with one that's um, specifically for you. What's one thing that most people don't know about 24 Hours in the Canyon? Maybe they've heard of it. They, they know it's a bike race. They know Paladora Canyon. But like, what's one surprising aspect of it? I would say that the unique thing about it is, is everyone always kind of says, well, when is it? When is it? When, mm-hmm. when is it going to be this year? When's it going to be next year? From year one, it's always been the weekend after Memorial Day. Okay. Now, the ironic thing is, is we, we chose that. I chose that. We chose that because we figured, hey, this is going to be a local thing. Everybody's going to go out of town on Memorial Day. Well, let's do the weekend after because they'll right. be in town. First weekend of the summer. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to be gone and then they'll be back. Yeah. And so um, narrow mindedness thinking, okay, let's choose that. Well, and it's worked, um, but it's that actually is uh, the Sunday that we end on is National Cancer Survivors Day. Wow. At the time when we started this meant nothing. In, in essence, I mean, it was like, oh, it's kind of a neat thing. Oh, it just coincidentally Well, like happens. there's National Oatmeal Day exactly. or something, you know. Exactly. It just kind of happened to coincide mm-hmm. that. As we've already talked about what we're doing now with our funds, now it makes perfect sense right. why it should always stay on the weekend after Memorial Day, regardless of now that we pull in 20 different states and 750 participants and things like that. So and that was that was sort of accidental that you ended up coinciding? It, it was entirely. Um, but it was kind of one of those things like when you find out, it's like, well, yeah, that fits because yeah. we didn't know what well, we were doing. It fits. Sure, let's do it. And now it's kind of like, it's really cool. Okay. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? It's a tie. Um, and I know that's kind of a, a lame answer, but um, well, you can tell I, me the, I just... The, the, the two different uh, restaurants yeah. that are competing there. Yeah, you know, uh, well, and it's two that are very supportive of 24 hours. And it's not because they're supportive of 24 hours. I love these places. And then they became supporters of 24 hours, which is 575 Pizzeria okay. and uh, Joe Taco. Pretty different types of food. It is. Those places, but yeah. that'll cover you. Yeah. Okay. What does this area have too much of? Road construction. All right. Definitely. <laughs> I thought you might say cancer or something. Well, like that, you know, I, I, there is. Honestly, there is. I, I, I wanted to, uh, yeah, that would be my second answer. Okay. Way too much. Do you, do you feel, back to the road construction, do you feel, um, is, is it a place where you're just kind of frustrated at the inconvenience, or do you kind of have that sort of hope that this means either city's going to improve. We're going to have better access. You know, I would hope so. Yes. Of course you remember too. I I told you earlier, I went to school in Waco and lived in Pampa. So I drove 35 and 287 a lot. And it seemed like it was just the perpetual construction zone. Sure. And living in (laughs) Dallas too. I've never been there. There's not construction. Absolutely. What does this area not have enough of? Personally, what I would love to have more of is mountain bike trails. Okay. You know, we have the Canyon. It's great. We have um, some trails in Canyon, right? Uh, There are really no trails in Amarillo. And so there's not a lot of bike paths, period. period. In Amarillo. And uh, I would say another thing that we don't have enough of is safe areas mm-hmm. to ride a road bike. It's very challenging. So yeah, we we definitely could use some more 
infrastructure on trails and bicycles. And that's a that's a long process. I mean, yeah. others you go to other cities, bigger cities that have these, and it's not like they just decided a couple months ago. You know, it, it's been part of their oh, yes. city planning. You know, for long years range and plans, years. long range plans. I don't know. The city has some stuff that they've got in place, but I just don't know that. Um, I don't know what, what's what is ever yeah. going to happen with that. It's a driving culture, less of a bicycle. It is bicycling culture. It is okay. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? You, you know, you've got competitors coming from mm-hmm, twenty different states. Mm-hmm, are they mm-hmm. ever like, what What are we in for? Exactly. We well, and I think what I in, in, in a case like that, it's like you're fixing to see something that you've never even known is here. A guy once told me, he's like, I'm driving on this flat road, and all of a sudden the canyon is there and it opens up and I'm like, Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. like this whole, like what kind of bike where, race is this going to be? Where, where is this? Yeah. You know? And so when, when you're talking about an instance like that, it's like you're going to be instantly, if you will, transported to Utah mm-hmm. or to um, somewhere in Arizona, Sedona or someplace like that, that you have the red rocks and the canyon and the hole and, and whatnot. But in terms of Amarillo itself, I think I describe it a lot as, I mean, it's truly the best place to raise a family. Okay. It is. Do you ever talk to some of those competitors like after the race and, and get some feedback, you know, not just on mm-hmm. the trails sure. or the canyon, but, but I mean, do they ever talk about like the experience of being here? They do, you know, and what's interesting. So they, they're very supportive of the people that support us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've had people tell me, um, reach out to me and go, Hey, what should I order? What do you eat at, at five seventy five? Because right. they see, you know, via social media, this is a sponsor and they're doing this and we come and do and whatnot. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go over there right. because they've talked about it on their social media. Um, but, but no, I think that they love the community. They love the, the Canyon and they, and it's, it's, everybody's there to help them. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? <laughs> Not traditional bike riding no. <laughs> attire or anything. No, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't even own cowboy boots, okay. and I would guess probably elementary school if I had to guess. Despite being a lifelong, despite Texan, being a lifelong Texan, Texas Panhandle resident. Yeah, you know, I just um, I'm more of a you know tennis shoes, bike shoes kind of guy. Okay, <laughs> no uh, no concerns about that. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I'm a roasters guy. Okay, yeah, I'm a roasters guy. Just, and which has that that biking connection it to does you know? it does it does and then you know it and i'm just a straight black coffee okay just nothing fancy <laughs> all right um roasters is kind of the uh the original you know it is shop in it is and so it and it's it's got a lot a lot of a lot of history okay so um what's your favorite street in amarillo i work downtown where my office is, is in downtown and i would have to say just uh polk street we're okay. right there near Polk. I can walk down, and as I have to go do this or go go talk to this folks or take something to our accountant and those types of things. Everything's downtown, and it's it's neat because I just kind of envision what it used to be. I mean, it's great now, right? Totally different. But I envisioned with the brick streets, you know, as I'm walking down Polk, you know, here's the horse drawn carriage or here's yeah. the the old cars that came across these cobbles and stuff and someday i would love to have you know there used to be a bike race downtown and it'd be neat to have another one downtown on on the bricks it would be yeah yeah so that's kind of what i, I just think polk just for that reason because it'd be kind of cool to have it's it's changed a lot though still just in the last couple of years yeah you know? oh there's so much new businesses going in brew pub there and i i just think it's cool but i like i said i sometimes ponder about what it would be like to put on a bike race downtown would road cyclists like it being on those bricks? I mean, is yeah, I think so. You know, there used to be the old Tascosa Cycling Association here mm-hmm. in town did put on for a number of years 
and they had a criterium downtown, which is mm. really cool. And they go fast on on crits wow. and on those cobbles and those those bricks. It'd be it'd be kind of cool. Okay, well, let's, it's kind of nostalgic. If anybody can make that happen, I, I think you probably <laughs> have the experience to pull that off. That concludes the eight straight, Ryan. I like to conclude the episode by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what's something you would want listeners to know about or to experience, you know, in this area? I think Paladuro Canyon State Park is just an amazing spot. It's so unique. It's so different. We do, from the Survivorship Center, we have now done two of these where we have um, cancer survivors that we take to the lighthouse. Okay. And I just think it's magical. I just think it's one of those things that you just, I don't know, there's just something there that's just, it's it's amazing. You just you just don't see it every day. And it changes, right? You mean, sure, what you yeah. see today is going to be totally different next month. We take our survivors there. So many of them have never, ever seen the lighthouse. And so naturally, that's a hard challenge to get them there. Yeah, it's a you know five-mile round trip yeah, hike. Yeah, it is. And then, of course, when you get to the end, you got to hike gotta up. you got to climb up, yeah. So we spend time with them in a walking group and, and getting them ready to do this. And then, of course, we have precautions and we have support. And the park is so generous to help us be able to do this and pull it off. But to get them there and see their face for the first time, to see the lighthouse, I think everyone should make it a point to get out there. It's really a cool – I mean, there's just so much out there, not to mention all the variety of other things that you see, the animals and and, and so forth out there. We, I think of so much of Paladuro Canyon that um, a part of our foundation, we've now put um, 12 sunscreen dispensers down in the park. Right, right. I've seen those. Yes. And so as a side note, skin cancer is the fifth most common cancer in our region. And so um, made it a point to say, you know what, let's just get on the prevention trail right. and put uh, dispensers down there. They average over 400,000 visitors a year mm-hmm. at Paladuro Canyon. And so um, for the last year, so those dispensers have been there for a year and uh, we actually tracked the utilization and had um, in last year, 110,000 uses of sunscreen. Okay. And so, I mean, it's cool and I think it's great. It's there so people can enjoy that and be in, in the outdoors. I mean, the Canyon is so amazing. So I would wholeheartedly endorse um, and it's not about mountain biking. Mountain biking is great. Sure, there. It's just, all kinds being, of stuff you can do just being in the canyon. Just, I mean, just as a follow up, knowing that the event is this weekend, if, if somebody has never participated, never seen it, never been an observer or a volunteer, I mean, can, can people come out and just kind of watch? Is it? They certainly can. They certainly can. Um, the park is not technically closed. Mm-hmm. It's limited in some spaces that they can get to and be a part of just for safety. Crowded. And it'll be really crowded. We usually conservatively estimate about 2000 people in okay. the park for, for our, our event. Um, but yes, I would I, come on down. The, the start is easy to get to and see. We do a mass start uh, lined by cancer survivors, okay. um, all in the same color T-shirt. And it's pretty emotional, pretty cool. Uh, it's a great start. And um, it's just an awesome weekend. What time does it start? starts at noon on Saturday. Okay. Um, but the most important thing of the entire weekend is the kids race. It's at 10 o'clock on Saturday All because right. the kids, they're so, I don't know who has more fun. The kids or the adults yelling on the kids and cheering them on. But so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay. Ryan Parnell, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Ryan for the interview and to Wick Realty, Six Car, and Sidecar Photo Booth for sponsoring the show. Every episode of Hey Amarillo is produced, written, and hosted by me. But that's the easy part. It's edited every week by my friend Angelina Medina, and that's the real hard part of the job. Executive producers of the show include Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Daniel Davis, Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, 
Ryan Pennington, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Criselda, and Corey Burns. Those names and my sponsors are some of the reasons I can keep producing this show every week for free. So if you listen and you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash heyamorello. That's Patreon with an E. And you can become one of my patrons. If you do, I appreciate it so much. I'm also grateful that you listen. Thanks for doing that every week. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>